0: Weston, who was not a light sleeper, at first sensed only a dull impact through his bedroom floor to the mattress. It did not shake him fully awake, and he was unable later to testify how long it took him to become aware of the door buzzer. Too long, at any rate. He did recall that the digital clock downstairs in the living room read O two fifty one, when, conservative as always, he slipped a raincoat over his pajamas his old forty five service automatic, heavy as a curbstone, in the right-hand pocket. Although he had been a full-fledged member of the intelligence community for over forty years, the first thing that popped into Weston's head as he squinted through the peeper was, some damn kid's prank. He opened the door anyway. The rounded, dark mass slumped against his alcove brickwork seemed about the size of those huge plastic mulch bags to a man whose sixty-three-year-old eyes were still full of sleep. The position of his alcove light and Potomac's country-lane street lamps in his face at three o'clock in the morning, for God's sake, didn't help. James Darlington Weston, a patient man, resisted the urge to kick that bag of mulch, sighed, took his right hand from the overcoat pocket, and snapped the alcove light off. Nothing had ever startled him more in his life than when the bag of mulch mumbled, Thank you, Alcyon. Dar Weston was suddenly, vibrantly awake. He did not snap the light on again, because as his awareness dilated, it included the sedan abandoned across his front walk, and the fact that the car must have shaken him half awake as it slammed into the low brick pilaster flanking his carport. It included some faint familiarity with that voice, too, which had thanked him for plunging the alcove into darkness again, and used a code name he hadn't answered to since 1953. Weston had not even run agents as a case officer for many years, but nobody who'd been in that part of the business ever forgot as much of it as he would like to, and Weston's response was immediate. He snapped off the living room valence light, then stepped out onto chill cement and squatted, sensing that the huddled figure needed help. By the time he got the man into the guest room, carrying more than guiding him, the man's attaché case banging shins at random. Weston knew the man needed that help very, very badly. His own hands were sticky, and blood does have a special smell when there is enough of it, and civilized men do not void their bladders or bowels while fully clothed, except in the greatest physical extremity. He swore as the reading lamp flooded the room and lifted the man's legs onto the bed to save the carpet. The left trouser leg was already stiff with blood, which seemed to be coming from the man's lower left abdomen. The attaché case, with three feet of cable linking it to the man's wrist manacle, could wait. As Weston tugged at the man's windbreaker and sports shirt, he traded calm gazes with the stranger, who did not seem to be in much pain. The face was sixty-ish, clean-shaven, with the pallor of gray milk, and like the voice, it was distantly familiar. "'Weston, hoping to find a knife wound, said, "'Forgive me, but I don't recognize you.' "'Then he saw the hole in the man's abdomen, "'slowly pulsing as fresh blood pumped out, "'and swore again. "'Inside that man was a metal slug. "'I was Sparrow in the old days,' the man said, "'sounding very tired. "'You knew me well enough then.' "'A pause and a cough that must have hurt.' You were the only one whose address I knew tonight. Sorry. Weston studied the gray face, seeing the strong, chiseled, tawny face of the young hellion beneath 36 more years of disenchantment, and nodded. It was Sparrow, he was certain. God damn an agency that sends old men to do boys' work. Weston snatched at the telephone he had knocked askew near the lamp table and began to dial with brisk, furious strokes. I'm calling company paramedics. You're filling up with blood, Sparrow.